Okay, golf nerds, welcome to another episode of Swing Thoughts, brought to you by TaylorMade Adidas. TaylorMade, the number one driver in golf, and if you're not using it, then you're being outdriven by all your golf friends that are, and uh, that's too bad. You know, if you're using some inferior product, that's on you. My name's Howard Glassman, uh, along with Tim O'Connor, the mental performance coach of uh, Glen Abbey Academy, and... Uh, it's great to see you again, sir. Yeah, it's I feel like a, I haven't seen you for a while. Yeah, well, we took a break, right? We're uh, This is the first time we're recording on a Monday. That's right. If you're downloading the show, we've recorded it on Monday, August 22nd, a few days after uh, one of the great sort of uh, events in Canadian, I was going to say music history, but it's sort of Canadian history, and we might touch on that on today's show. Yep. Also brought to you by Glenn Karen. There's never been a better time to join Glen Karen, one of the uh, many Club Link golf courses, and uh, just got a, a bunch of much-needed rain here in the last week. Oh, yeah. Oh. The course has been hurting, man. Yeah. Really bad. I mean, of course, it burned out rough and everything. But Glen Karen's held up not too badly, considering. Yeah, something went wrong with the uh, fairways, though. I the, the, well, the day after it rained, or a couple days after, I saw you had been playing there in the morning. And you saw, I don't know what was going on. Your turf guy. You're a turf management guy. Yeah. I, what was wrong with the turf? Well, I, I think that it was some kind of uh, blight, some kind of, say, bacteria or something. It, it's really common when you do have a drought condition, you get all that rain comes because the ground is so hard, the rain doesn't go anywhere. And with the high temperatures, it's a, just a breeding ground for, for bacteria. And you get this thing called, a very common one, it's called pythium. And, it, and what it does is it tends to turn the... Um, the grass to kind of a purpley color, yeah. and then it just freaking dies. I'm not saying that's what happened, but something obviously happened there. So it's like the um, because of the moisture and then the heat, bacteria. Are you saying that it's like the fairways have chlamydia? Yeah. Is that what I hear you saying? That's right. Okay, I, listen, I'm not a golf turf guy like you, so I'm just a layman's. In layman's terms, I think what Tim's saying is that there's some kind of fairway chlamydia. Yeah. This is my guess. You know, I'm not a turf expert. I just play one on okay. the radio. Anyway, I just wanted to throw, you know, turf. But Glen Karen is they're they're fighting yeah. back and doing all they can there. Just like Mother Nature always wins. So there you go. We're done with that. Yes. I no, I'm not. I'm I, I'm going to continue to say turf chlamydia until it elicits the correct response. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm going to tell you right now, we're very lucky to have one of our dear friends, a uh, friend to you and I and to all uh, on our show today. He is the. Uh, he is a mental performance coach, much like yourself. He's been at it a little bit longer. He's been uh, teaching in uh, Florida, uh, where he was the resident uh, mental performance guy at a very prestigious academy called Core Golf. He has also uh, worked with uh, many tour players, LPGA, uh, Web.com, and on the PGA Tour uh, this past weekend, one of his guys, DA Points, had a nice uh, top 20 finish. He is, of course, the mountain man known is Paul Dooland. Hello, Paul. Hello. Hello. Um, I feel like there's some kind of delay because we're talking to Dooland. He's on his Florida phone, but he's right now by a, a lake uh, north of Toronto. Can you hear us okay? I can. Can you hear me? Yeah, you sound great, man. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, just, I'm still sort of shaking my head with your, uh, with your, your uh, 
layman's terms in terms of uh, turf disease. Uh, I was going to start to make some comment about uh, some type of protections necessary on the course, but uh, Listen, let's safe, not go there. Paul, yeah, safety first. Oh, you know what? Let's, you guys don't go there, but I'll go there. Um, Paul Doolin, let me ask you this. How has um, your job, has it gotten easier, and I'm going to say this, has it gotten easier because more tour players, more amateur players, are more interested in the mental side of the game? Because I think when you started 13, 12, whatever years ago, it still was kind of a little bit, not the kind of thing that everyday players would avail themselves of. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, you know, I haven't thought about this very much until you asked me that. But, yeah, I think that it's, it's you know, back then it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't unheard of for people to work with, uh, with a mental coach, but now it's unheard of that, you know, touring pros haven't at least entertained it. Um, it's, it's a lot, lot more common and, and not as taboo. So guys that might have been open-minded a long time ago uh, or might not have been open-minded are are now going, yeah, it's fairly mainstream. I mean, I kind of compare it to chiropractic. Like 25, 30 years ago, you know, it was it was a little bit voodoo-ish in, in the eyes of many, and now it's it's almost completely mainstream. It's, it's accepted as a... The, uh, as a really good uh, modality for treatment. So uh, I think the same with this. I think all the woo-woo that goes around it uh, is, is kind of gone, and there's good science behind it. Um, you know, with, with technology these days, there's good science behind it um, that can be proven in terms of brain scanning and, and uh, EEGs and things like that. So um, the benefits of it are a lot more obvious. So I think for, for quite a few reasons, that's, that's become uh, a lot more common. Paul, how much of what you do is providing support and teaching or just sometimes being like a safe haven, if you will, for someone to come and talk about stuff that's going on in their golf and perhaps other parts of their life that they don't really have an outlet otherwise? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, a, a lot of it's just being, you know, a, a good listener, to be honest with you. Some people, you know, it's hard for them to talk about certain things in, in, a, in a, you know, in a family setting or um, you know, with their friends or, you know, with their agent or whatever. So they'll, uh, if, if they trust someone, they'll, they'll talk to them. And that's part of the, the, the work is to, to build trust that, you know, they're not going to be, you know, judged or stomped on if they say something, you know, negative, which I, you know, a lot of people, you know, like to vent after a round of golf when it doesn't go very well and, you know, get it off their chest and get their thoughts clarified for themselves. And uh, so, yeah, having 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 an outlet is really important for a lot of folks. Some people are really good; they don't need to do that, but some people do. Yeah, I, just, I guess where I was going with that a little bit is sometimes is it a matter that you kind of have to hold up, ask them what's going on in the rest of their life when golf isn't going so great, because I think that they a lot of people make the they don't make the connection that if life is going kind of tough in one aspect of their life, it's going to bleed over into their golf. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's it's probably more common than not in terms of the amount, you know, in the, in, in the total percentage of the work I do. There's a ton of it that, that, you know, people have to deal with, you know, some personal stuff. Um, especially, you know, tour guys, they have a very complicated lifestyle. They're, they're on the road all the time. Um, there's a lot of pressure if they're not playing well. Uh, their living depends on it. And, and you know, the from the financial end, from the relationship end of things, there's a lot of strain. So... For sure, that and that you know, I've seen some stuff without talking about golf with uh, with some players. Uh, a lot of things have loosened up in their game because 
they've got a lot of the other things in their life, you know, squared away a lot better. You know, communication and relationships are a big, big deal for, you know, people that are married on tour, both male and female. You know, when you started by saying, you know, uh, when you began this, you know, a lot of tour players had heard of it, and now it's almost unheard of. <clears throat> Pardon me for a tour player not to avail himself or herself of the highest sort of probability of success, and that includes someone like you or Tim. But I have a question for Tim, because Tim, I think, works with a lot of sort of club players. And some of the people that Tim works with, and I won't mention it, but if you had told me three years ago when I met these people that those guys would be talking about feelings and processes and, you know, insecurities around golf, <clears throat> excuse me, and, uh, and a lot of it around life as well, I would have been really surprised. And yet, here I am, a couple of a good friends of mine are Tim's students, and I'm thinking, you know, that's great. good Because, you know, I'm, I, I've always been into this. But the fact that those guys are now going to people like Tim, I think that's probably a bigger breakthrough than I think every day. People accept that tour players do it, but everyday golfers are doing it. Yeah, the the average golfer and even like really good players, uh, low handicappers, have prone not to go there. Because, Paul, you were saying that a lot of tour players now, it's part of, it's like part of their team. They have a fitness guy, uh, a nutritionist, and they have, you know, the head coach, if you will. The average player has, most of them have not made that connection because it's still perceived as kind of a, uh, you know that woo woo it's a and it's a weak place i would have to go to somebody because i'm weak and they don't really want it to be known that they're working with someone but i think it there's also it's it's seeping into average players now that really if they, if they want to really sharpen their game that they need to take a good look at the at the mental part of the game and you know that includes yes feelings and the and the, and the way they think and everything because most of the people i work with are 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 like two handicapped players and under, and they get it. They understand that working on their swing and their mechanics only goes so far, but if they don't complete the package, having, say, good nutrition, good yeah. fitness, and taking care of what goes on between the ears, then they won't really become the player that they really want to be. Well, guys, but I would say, for this is for both Paul and you, I'd say that if you could sort of parallel the growth of club players that would say have access to TrackMan and, you know, all that technology and all of a sudden they've they've just they've they've you know got good fitting. I think it's sort of similar that yeah, I mean lots of club players have heard of Rotella and Cooper, is it Cooper, Cooper whatever, uh, Geo whatever and and they go I've heard of that but now they've got guys like Tim and and even Paul where they might make a call to say could you help me because I'm having some problems handling myself in certain situations. And, you know, you're sort of at the tour level, Paul. And, and I think the rise of just everyday average club players availing themselves of this technology would be similar to all of a sudden, you know, five years ago, I didn't know anyone that had been on track, man. And now everyone I know has had their swing analyzed. And I think, Paul, now they're having their mental processes analyzed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you... Things like TrackMan are, are forms of feedback, and you know, from my end of things, there's a whole lot of different technologies available that you know, and it's all called biofeedback, which basically gives the user um, a source of information they wouldn't otherwise have about how, in, the, in in this case, how their brain is functioning. You know, EEG brain waves are fed back into a device that you can actually view, 
and it tells you, you know, what what types of processes you're doing internally that you might not be aware of. In other words, there's all sorts of unconscious processes going on in the background. Uh, the more feedback, the, the really good students uh, understand the, the, the importance of feedback. In other words, information that they don't know about themselves that make things that aren't necessarily conscious, conscious. Doing, using any type of technology that you can, and a coach is a form of feedback. I can see things in people uh, that they can't see, just like you know, all of us can see things in other people that they can't see. And when that information is given back to the student and they're open-minded rather than dismissive, they get the most out of it. So any type of feedback, be it through a coach or through a device, TrackMan's one of them for your swing, or um, you know, things like Muse or, or Focus Band, uh, are, are great sources of feedback to teach you what you don't know about yourself. And that's the real powerhouse of change is what don't I know that I need to know? And so all of this information and technology is available to people, but I guess in essence in, the, in a very long-winded way, if you don't have the open-mindedness to be interested in what's not necessarily available to you, you can be given all this information and not use it correctly, and the information is a waste of time. Yeah, the that's a key piece on the on the open mindedness piece is that a, a lot of people still think that when they look at their mental game, there's there's some resistance there. There's a sense that it's almost a weakness not to be able to say close the deal, to be able to contend in a tournament, or to choke or something like that. That that, that heaven forbid they could be accused of choking, um, that that would be you know not a manly thing to do or whatever. And where I'm going with that is that a coach, I think the value of a coach and the feedback you're talking about is getting support. And someone who can be able to hold up what you're doing in front of you like a mirror and say, okay, here's what I see. How does that resonate for you? Whereas a lot of us, we're trapped in our own thinking, even the most, you know, almost enlightened person, if you will, still... I would argue, needs someone else to be able to act as that mirror for you so you can really see what's going on and be open to that feedback. Hey, I'm right here. Don't be talking about me like I'm not around. <laughs> what's wrong with you guys? Um, well, I, I wanted, I've been thinking about uh, the two of you uh, talking to you together, and uh, you know, I'm friends with both of you. And I'll, you know, we, I want to talk a little bit about you know, my, my time I spent with Paul on Friday, but I thought of this phrase I wanted to throw at both of you. What would you say is the difference between an instructor and a coach? I think that... Go Tim, for it. Well, Go Tim, for it, Tim. Well, no, I was going to say, because Tim and, and I have had this discussion, Paul, about how a lot of golf instruction on the, on the physical side is very sort of guru, do what I say, put your, this is the position you need to be, and, and that's one of the failings of golf instruction. But yet, if you have a good coach who works with what you have, and rather than designs the swing around, you know, what he believes, it's more about what you've got, and let's work with that. I think as a physical uh, paradigm, that's, that's, a, that's what a coach is. So knowing what I just said, so now as a mental coach, like because what it made me think of is you guys were talking about, you know, you can tell me what to do, but if I'm not open to it. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of guys that can instruct the mental side, but how is that different than a coach? Tim O'Connor, mental performance coach, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Okay, <clears throat> this is my theory. Um, no, what I think a coach does is, well, I'll only go from my, my personal experience. And that I think what I do is I take the viewpoint that as a human being, you've got 
ton of brilliance within you. You've already got some gold. My job is largely to draw that out of them and to try and help them see perhaps where they've got some stories coming up and challenge the validity of that story and to look at the belief system that might be limiting them in what they're actually doing. My, and to get down to it, I believe that as a coach, my role is not to point my finger into your chest and say, you need to do this. You are broken. Here's what you need to do to fix it. I believe that most people already know what's going on with them, but they need some support. They need some perspective. They need a degree of wisdom, if you will. Someone who sure. draw that gold out of them. And to me, that is very different than an instructor who says, you need to do this, this, and this is a fixer. Well, there's and some... not to say that there isn't some I was going to say, there's some instruction. There's there, some there ideas. And, and again, I've worked with Paul as well. I'm not sure people realize. That's how I met Paul. I started working with him in the summer of 2014. And on Friday was only the second time that I've ever seen Paul in person. And it's, it's dazzling is what it is. Um... <laughs> He's literally so, and figuratively Oh, no, it's, it's, big it's man. too much. He, like, he, big man. he envelops me in his giant, uh, it's like playing golf with, uh, I don't know, Andre the Giant. It's, it's something. Anyway, <laughs> what about you, Dudu? What do you think of uh, the difference between uh, instruction and coaching? I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm still reeling from the comment on Andre the Giant. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I think that because in the time we've worked together, you've given me some instruction. But we've also talked a lot about, like, there's been some, there's a lot of coaching that goes on. We talk, some of the stuff we talk about, both of us, you and me and Tim and me and you and all that, some of it's pretty heady stuff. But what's your, what are your thoughts? Instruction versus coaching? Instruction, I think, is the imparting of information. It's almost the equivalent of education. Yeah. Um, it's here, here's how to do something. Um, I think coaching involves more of, the feedback loop, like Tim says, for self-exploration. So it, often people will be unaware of a concept, like let's say, um, you know, the the, the the tone they talk to themselves in. So if I <clears throat> say to somebody, you know, the tone we talk to ourselves in um, has a big impact on um, on our inner, internal states. They go, oh, okay. And then I say, now pay attention to your internal dialogue. Uh, for the next 20 minutes while you play, and let's see how that goes. Ultimately, they're going to they're going to forget to do it, and they're just going to start, you know, going off and on to the directions they always go. So they might start have this internal dialogue. They're unaware of it. Like I said earlier, they're unconscious of it. So an instructor, as an instructor, I have, I would say I think you're talking to yourself internally because I can see what you're doing with your body language. Whereas a, as a coach would say, what are you doing right now? So in other words, make the person go inward and, and pay attention to themselves. Um, so the, the instruction, I think, you know, needs the feedback loop, but it's more of a one unidirection, one from the from the quote unquote expert to the student. Coaching is about you know sharing the information. I think instruction is part of coaching. Um, I think as, as as anybody in this type of business, I think there's three things you got to do. You've got to inform people. In other words, that includes, you know, inform them about what they're doing and information, et cetera, but also to motivate and entertain. It's got to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. You, uh, you, you, can't, you, you can't be out there just, you know, boring the crap out of people with great information. That just, that doesn't go anywhere. People don't change from that. They might be, you know, they might be interested in the topic, but they don't, they don't change your behavior, and that's the whole point. 
Well, I I think yeah, I, I really love where you're going with that, Paul. And, and and what I think a lot of it is is around exploration, exploring with the student what's actually going going on for him or her. And um, when you start from that place of where they say their anxiety is, or this is what's going on for me. I so many times I'll I'll start with a student and uh, hey, what's going on? And then like five minutes in, and, and then I was on all number nine and made a bogey, and then I tried to get it back with a birdie, and I made a double, and and then it's starting to go like really like what's going on for them, you know? And what are you feeling? And uh, you know, how is this serving you? And so, f- through an exploration, of what's going on for them? Then we can say, okay, what are you paying attention to, or how are you handling these situations? As you said, what are the names say they're calling themselves? How are they? And then, as a coach, we can start to impart some tools, some resources, some instruction to say, okay, if this is going on for you, how about we could try something like this. And then you just start to explore how that could work for them. And then if they buy in and it seems to make some sense for them, then we could take it further. Yeah, and, and so and, and to add on to that, I've got some people I, I have worked with and do work with that have no interest in self-exploration. They just say, just, just tell me what to do. And they do it, and they're really good at it. So they just want instruction. They don't necessarily want the self-exploration, all that stuff. Sometimes... Their personality just doesn't suit that. And although, you know, yeah. would they benefit from that sort of thing? Sure. But you, one of the key things is you can't start doing stuff you think would be good for somebody if they have no tolerance for mm-hmm. it. 100%. And that's, you know, just because I think they need it doesn't mean they want it. And if they don't want it, it doesn't matter what I think. And part of it is, you know, helping them understand the benefit of it and, you know, in the long term, open their mind to, to another alternative. But you have to start where that student is. Otherwise, you know, after you know session number one, they're like, I'm never doing that again. I didn't like doing it. I don't want to do that type of work. And you start, you start with where they're at. Exactly. You know, sometimes when I'm doing this show or I'm talking to my friends like you two about golf and stuff that I find, I, I got to be honest with you, I could listen to the two of you. I find it endlessly fascinating. But I'm also struck by the fact that if somebody just happened upon this podcast, let's say from... You know, a country where people are struggling for food. <laughs> They'd be like, what are you two? What are you guys talking about? Is this about a game where you hit a ball with sticks? Move on. Anyway, um, you know, it's, it, well, I, you know, I, it, is, it is true. Like, you know, there, I've, I've often said this, and I've said this to Doolin on Friday, you know. I have think one of the things that fascinates golfers is the fact that we can get so involved and angry and emotional about a game I said this to Paul, like I, I, I've often said I'm the worst I've ever met. I've come close as a grown man to punching myself in the face. I've had to actually stop myself and go, that's probably too much. But that was 20 years no, ago. No, it was last summer. Oh, no. <laughs> kidding thought, me? No, I thought you were reformed. Oh, no. But, but I lying. Yeah, but, yeah but, but here's the thing. Well, I'm human being. You know, I know as much as I know, I still will have moments on the golf course where I get so angry. I was playing golf yesterday with a former tour player, a uh, Canadian guy, and, and we were talking about, you know, when's the last time you hit yourself with a club? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Badminton players don't do bowlers don't take want to take a ball and smash their foot with it. But I I told this guy yesterday I said last summer I was really hard on my shins because I would miss a putt and slam it against my leg. Oh yeah. <laughs> so my point is this is this is why we do these this show because th- this is this this game. It's only a game, you know. And yet we feel so strongly about it. It's one of the 
points of our podcast. This is a character revealing um, exercise. And that's why we have guys like Doolin and you. Because I don't know, there's a lot of bowl. I don't think there's a lot of bowlers that are talking to Tim O'Connor for hours, going anyway in the third frame. I really thought I, <laughs> you bowl, stop it. Anyway, I thought I'd inject a little. If, I thought I just. If you look at it, I mean, there's there's a certain type of person that this game attracts. It's infinitely difficult. I mean, oh. you know, if you if you're going to bowl the first time in your life, you have a chance of getting a strike. You're going to play golf for the first time in your life. You might get the ball in the air. So, so it's like there's a certain type of personality that's attracted to this game. And honestly, I don't think there's a there's a secret handshake between alcohol and golf for a reason. I mean, <laughs> that is how, how true. Many, how many other you know sports or games or whatever you want to define this as have, have, have almost by necessity a bar attached to the to the 18th hole? Wait a second. They have, we have a bar that drives around after us. <laughs> we have a cart right. full of booze and driven by great yeah, girls. Many, how many <laughs> Yeah, what you other sport are they making? Sh- How many squash players, you know, sitting there soaking back a pile of beer while they're playing squash, right? No, right. They have to stop and then after a game go, hang on a second. I need, I need to get a Stella. Um, <laughs> now, the thing is, I, I want to move on now because uh, I, I want curling? to. Well, curling. Curling. I think curlers are similar. But I, I, I've played golf now. I played golf on Friday with Paul. And I have played golf with Tim. Um, and I have seen both of you. Who, who do this for a living. And again, we had talked a little bit about this, about, you know, even though I'm fairly uh, versed in, you know, steeped in this technology, you know, that we all have moments where, you know, we freak out and we get mad and things happen and bad, you know, you have bad days and that's, that's similar to life. But I've now played golf with O'Connor and you. And uh, let me just say it was uh, our first times together were a very similar experience. Is this where we grimace, Paul? (laughs) So the first time I played with O'Connor, I I had known Tim for a while. We were good friends, but we had never played golf. And he he shanked about, I don't know, a dozen shots to the point where I just had to, I kept looking away uh, because it was uh, horrifying. But what I loved about that day with Tim is it showed me it revealed Tim's character. There was a certain equanimity and a certain acceptance and a certain good humor around a situation. And as I told you that day, if that had been me, there's a very good chance we wouldn't have gotten by nine. <laughs> Similarly, with Paul on Friday, he had a bit of a rough start. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I'm now, now say- there's, there's the exaggeration <laughs> of the lifetime right there. He had a bit of a rough start to the point where somewhere on the back nine, uh, he was into my golf balls. <laughs> But I would say this as an assessment of your both mental acuities, that Paul also handled it in a way where I don't know if I have reached your nirvanic state yet. <laughs> because <laughs> at one point, I was like, go ahead, take him. I'm thinking, geez, I hope I don't run out of golf balls. Because uh, he was going after him like cashews. Were you giving him your, <laughs> were you, were you giving him your like noodle foundlings or your pro No, no, I gave, I, I gave him t- Pro-V's, Schmovies. Taylor made oh, my you, friend. How well, dare you? you? Well, you can have a Pro-V foundling too. Yes, as good I, point. As I recover real quickly. <laughs> nice, nice job. No, uh, I, I have to say again, in watching you play that day, um, you were, you know, yeah, you're like everyone else. You know, you didn't like the fact that you were hitting some, uh, you know, shots. And we were playing a very tough and beautiful golf course. So stunning was the scenery that it was it was hard to get 
too involved in the game of golf because it was it was we were playing a place called uh, Muskoka Bay, a couple hours north of Toronto. And oh, gorgeous! Just ridiculous, hey Paul. The um, the scenery was stunning, but I got to tell you, as a compliment and just as an observer, I thought you were. You know, there's a cousin. And it doesn't matter whether you're a golfer or a guy that works with tour players. You're just a guy. You want to play well. You've never played with me. We had a, a friend of ours, a tour player, watching us. We were playing with another couple, and you know, it has a regular. It's a regular golf game, and you're just a regular golf guy, and you were not, you know, excited about how you were playing. But I thought we, I thought you handled it very nicely, and I wanted to say that to you. Well, first of all, I want to make a comment. Um, just to clarify for the audience. Yeah, clarify. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Howard just said another couple. Howard and I are not a couple, so let's just clarify his language there. Oh, oh okay. Well, I, I, th- I, thought, I thought maybe we reveal that on another show. See, Paul's, a, an, no, Paul's an NLP guy. He knows the power of language. Well, listen, I'm, I'm glad we're not a couple because I would definitely be the girl in the relationship. He's like three times the size of me. Although, who knows? Good Lord. Um, anyway... Um, <laughs> Okay, yeah, you, you've I, got I, clarity. I'll make, I'll make a comment about uh, the game. Uh, you know, the, the expectations of this the, of the, the mental game. It's like it's not about if people don't play well, you're not supposed to like it. I I, I played probably the worst golf I have in nine or ten years, and it's basically you know I haven't played almost in six months. Believe it or not, being in golf, I rarely play it, oh, yeah. and living in Florida. I haven't practiced or anything, so I went out. I kind of knew that it was going to be a disaster. It was a lot worse. It's a tough course. It's tight, so that amplified things. And I didn't like it. You're not supposed to like doing things that you don't do. You know, you're trying to do something well, and you don't like it. You're not supposed to like it. You're supposed to have a reaction. The, The whole point of this work is how quickly do you recover when things don't go your way, not do you, you know, sit there and, and, and smile and say, wonderful, I just lost my seventh ball. <laughs> and we're only on the fourth hole. Just kidding. Because you're, you've set an intent for the round to shoot a low score. And once you set that intent, you're, 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 you're supposed to dislike anything that matches it. That's the spirit of the game and competition. So I did not like it. I did not like that at all. But that's the point, is how quickly can I get over that and get back to my next shot and see what happens? And you gave me a lot of help technically, and, you know, my game started to move in, the, in a better direction. But don't, don't, I don't want the audience to get any, you know, mistake about this type of work. It's okay to get pissed off. It's okay to be frustrated. It's, it's about how quickly do you get over that after a bad shot or a bad round. And get back on your horse, learn something, and, and keep moving. Let me just interrupt. That, by, I'm going to say that, what you just said there, hang on a second. That might be the whole thing right there. Because I don't, I'm, not, I'm, I'm sure you're not surprised that I still get mad. But what I've learned from Tim and Paul is, can you get mad and then go hit a neck? It's, it's how quickly can you get to the next shot? And you made a, you, that's a great point. Do you not think? That's really what it all, it's all about. People think that we're in this beautific state of, you know, m- you know, Buddhism on the golf course. It's not. It's you hit a bad shot. It bugs you, but you still have the next shot to hit. And if you're a 20 handicap, how many shots do you waste on the way to getting calm enough to stop making double bogeys? And that's really the thing. I think for me, that's it. Because you didn't, you got yeah, and, and and playing badly was a great source of motivation for me. It was like it woke me up to say, you know what, I love this game and I like playing well. 
And and so, you know, did I play bad? Yeah. Was it was it a negative experience? No. It was a wonderfully positive one because it woke me up to how much I love playing well, and that I want to practice more, and I want to I want to get out there and feel the satisfaction of getting better again because I've sort of gotten off track with that with how busy I've been. So. I, uh, you know, was it a, was it a, was it my best round? No. Was it one of my most revealing experiences in the last little while for golf? For sure, it was. Yeah. What's really interesting about that is that, yeah, you're absolutely right, Paul. When when you're not playing well, you might get angry. Well, anger is an energy, and it's like emotion, energy, and motion. So a lot of times when we get uh, pissed at ourselves, we can use that as something to motivate ourselves. Oh, you know, I need to get back focused on, say, my process or or something like that, or just to really just kind of awaken ourselves. And part and parcel of that is is the react and respond. So if I hit a bad shot, if I had a shank, which happened to me in the Club C a couple times, um, it's how am I going to respond to that? So that's just like life, in that things happen, and the test of how we conduct ourselves in the world is the choice we make and how we're going to respond to that. And so if the response is to beat the crap out of yourself and throw a club in the pond, well, I'm not sure how well that's going to serve you. And I think what you just said is brilliant. Is That's exactly it. It's like... You know, you're going to react and respond. I mean, if you can take, uh, you know, a minute or two, because one of my favorite Tim stories, I wanted to get to it, you might as well tell it now, is it's the last hole of the club championship. There's a bunch of people (laughs) around this green at Blue Springs Golf Course, a uh, a, a club link course. Blue Springs. Did I say Blue Springs? Yeah, but it's a a club link course. Right. And there's people ringing in the green, and Tim's on the last hole of the third round of the club championship, and then what happens? I hit a good drive. It's like, what, what do you got in? You got 165-ish, whatever? Yeah, I got 7-iron, and I just want to hit to the middle, be below the hole, and I uh, hit a cold shank. And But the, the green is ringed with people who are in their carts and in their cups, as the Brits say. And um, I was determined just to be in my process, but I just hit a dead shank. So let me ask you, when you hit the shank... Which is, for a lot of golfers, like, it doesn't get, there's nothing worse than that. See, you know, I mean, in terms of the electricity going through your body. I just want to know, because a lot of people would have been mad, freak out, embarrassed, all that stuff, which I'm sure you were a little bit. But what what is your thinking? As soon as it goes wherever it goes, now what do you do? Because now this is to the point of reacting and responding. Well, I think it was like, oh, crap, not again. I can't believe it. And then it, I think what happened was I just... I didn't slam my club back into the bag or anything. I just, and I was carting it, like pulling. I just put it in and I just walked over. And I was just really aware that I felt super relaxed. And I was just, there's the target. I'm sorry, you felt what? Relaxed. Super relaxed after you shanked it? Yes, that I was just going to take a swing. Because it, it how like, far did the ball go? Actually, I don't know, forty, fifty yards. So you walk over there, and are you even looking at the crowd around the? No, no. By the way, if you ever not. wanted to know what it feels like to be a stand-up comic, that's what it feels like. <laughs> it's like what you do after you shank it. Well, that's it for thirty-five minutes. But keep, please continue. No, I just, I just walked over, and I just, I went, okay, that's a, that's a, it's a gap wedge, and I'm gonna just. Pick, I just picked my target, and but I just really felt a, a really loose and relaxed, and because I knew that my my default is to go to tension and control, 
of, of situations. And that's what led to the sh- what I believe led, led to the shank. So you gap wedged it onto the green? Yeah. After you shanked your 7-iron? Yeah, about 25 feet below the now, hole. Now, I'm going to tell you what. If, if, I'm, if I'm around that green and you hit the green, because, you know, there's a... One of the many things, uh, cliches in golf, but this one's super true. The hardest golf, hardest shot in the world is the shot after you shank one. And that's when it's just you and your buddies in a group. If I'm around that green and you hit the green with your third shot, I give you a standing ovation. <laughs> Dude, seriously. <laughs> but you know, that's some heroic stuff. It really is. You know what's funny about that? And we'll bring Paul in here in a sec, but um, I didn't think about that. After the round, I'm going, oh, my God, again, I've done it. I've hit a shank on the 18th hole in, in the Club C. I, I did it about three years ago as well, and, which is to say, Paul, that even though you know I'm super into the work that we do as coaches and helping players, we still, I, have habits. I have patterns, motor, motor skills that... I'm still working on I'm still working on them because they're so ingrained in me. And that's the work is to be aware that we're a work in progress as players, as coaches of and we fall into our own bad habits. Absolutely. What do you think, Polly? Yeah, human beings are the messiest creatures on the planet. Yeah, man. There's uh, the, the the fact that we can change habits doesn't mean that they change. 100%. Um under pressure Old patterns reveal themselves, and that's that's the whole point. Um, so that's why it's really important for anyone who wants to, you know, play under pressure. Um, they have to play under pressure all the time. So get out there on the golf course, and your old, you know, people say the swings break down under under pressure. They don't really break down. What happens is the older the older parts of our game, like our initial. Um, Sorry, I got another call coming in here just distracting me. Um, the older parts of our um, uh, swing, like let's say the swing you have when you're a junior, there's a tendency like to, you know, for me, I, I tend to pull the club inside really quickly. Um, that shows up under pressure for me. So I, I, and it's unconscious and it just happens. So when things are, uh, when I'm under pressure a lot and I rep things correctly, eventually what happens under pressure is the newer swing. Um, did I, did, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, we're gonna, we, I have a couple more minutes with Paul. Uh, it's funny because, you know, what you just said is if you want to play well under pressure, then put yourself under pressure. So, you know, and one of the things Tim wrote that I thought was very, very smart was a piece about being in the club championship. And one of the things that you sort of take away from it is that was your first tournament of the year. And, you know, if and a lot of guys, their only real tournament, you know, where they're feeling the most pressure is their club championship. And I think you sort of concluded your article or your blog about, Saying you know, if you, basically the learning is if you want to do well in the club championship next year, play some tournaments before it, Absolutely. so that when you get to that first tee, you you you're f- at least familiar with how different it feels than your little Saturday morning game. You know, one of the things I read this week, and this is the last thing I'll throw at you guys, is uh, the notion, and I and I like this, the idea that 
You know, if you're going to go play golf the next time, be prepared to scramble from the first hole onward because the game can start very quickly. You know, you can be in a great mood. You can be on the first tee joking with your friends. And the next thing you know, you're in a pot bunker and you're having to chip backwards. And now all of a sudden, golf, you're in the game. But I think one of the reasons that that takes people by surprise, and I wrote this down, is every golfer thinks that this will be the day that nothing bad happens. (laughs) And that just isn't the case. Because something is going to happen, whether it's the first hole or the 18th, that's going to put you in a position to summon some mental facility. Thoughts? Final thoughts? Anybody? Well, ahead, I, Tim. Yeah, well, I think it's, uh, I know that almost in every day a little rain's going to fall somehow, so why would golf be any different? Exactly. And, again, it's how am I going to respond to that? And, but I also think that you can build the skill of how you respond uh, in your practice by doing games like par 18 and putting yourself under pressure. Uh hitting shots on the range as if you're playing some holes and responding that way. Um, I know a really good warm-up before, before you play is to, is to putt like you have to make it. And if you miss, you go through your process, you mark, and you putt so that when you get on the course, you're, you're used to your going through your process. Or even play as your last bit of warm-up. Play the first hole, you know, get out your driver or three, whatever, and actually play it so that when you go and play it, you're going, okay, well, I'm sort of prepared for this. Paul, what do you think? I think this is a really stupid game, and everyone should quit. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so you know what? Because no, I think <laughs> I think it's a really stupid game, and everyone should quit. Dot com is Paul Doolin's new yeah, website. This game is this game is stupid. <laughs> Paul, I think you're responding in a really weird way here. Yeah, why don't you detach from your ego a little bit? Back yeah, nine conversation exactly. dot com. Think, are you reacting to? Did you were anyway, you not happy with your previous answer? Polly, what, what do you want to finish off with? You know, you know. I think the key to anything, and golf, golf is a metaphor for life, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And resilience is is paramount if you want to uh, have be satisfied with with what you do. You can't control how you play necessarily, but you can control what you do to give yourself a, ch- a good chance at playing. You know, as Tim said, you know, there are days when it's going to rain, and that doesn't, you know, th- that's just going to happen. And so the more that you expect for things to go poorly, and that's not negative thinking, it's just reality. It's mm-hmm. like, are you prepared for a rainy day? I have insurance. It doesn't mean I want to get in a car accident, but I'm prepared if I do. Yeah. And when you're prepared that things could go well, your mindset is, okay, I'm open to whatever happens and ready. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to bounce back necessarily because I'm not in this resistant state if it's not perfect. So um, I think that that whole overriding mindset of going out there saying, okay, crap's going to happen. My wedges are ready as they'll ever be, and I'll do my best with them, and we'll see what happens and see how I respond, and I'll I'll learn and grow from it. And I know that sounds like platitude. No, and it's, stuff, but I it's think really it's absolutely the mindset that the top professionals have. You know, the idea that you know you're on the first tee of a of a of a game, and the game is the game's going to start now, and and you might have three or four holes in a row playing brilliantly, or you might have three or four holes in a row where it's a struggle, but it is a game, and it's a weird one. You know, like, how do you explain it? I was playing with some guys, maybe, I don't know, yesterday or the day before, and the guy was demoing a new driver. 
And it reminded me that everyone has that story of like, you know, as soon as you, when you're demoing it, it's amazing. Everything you, same with putters, they're just amazing. And I said to this guy, so you know, it's like when you go visit a a puppy at the SPCA. You know, it seems fine, but as soon as you take it home, it starts shitting all over your house. (laughs) All right, boys, that's where we're going to leave it with Paul Doolin today. He is the uh, mental performance coach to uh, a lot of fine players, and um, you can get a hold of him. How do people uh, find you now, Paul Doolin? I have a meager website, pauldoolin.com. Okay, that seems simple enough, pauldoolin.com, and uh, obviously this won't be the last time. Uh, it was great playing with you. I uh, really appreciate it, and it was fun because we had just the two of us played the back nine, not as a couple. Um <laughs> And we, uh, it was like a two-hour uh, discussion like this. We just talked about a bunch of different things, and I don't know. It was cool for me to play with you, and it was very, Tons of fun. very complimentary. And, you know, I don't want to talk about the fact that I was, you know, hitting it pretty good. I don't, you know, so whatever. That's okay, you know, Paul. I, I, will, I will give this to you. You played, you played really, really well. I mean, that's the first time I'd seen you play, and I knew you were a good player, but I was impressed. Guy can smoke it, eh? Yeah, yeah. And oh, he's, yeah. He's 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 a specimen out there. It's no, pretty impressive. So. Oh, yeah. but, but this guy can really play. Holy crap! Particularly well, for particularly oh, yeah. for an old fella. I am an old guy. Um. Anyways, dude, it was great talking to you and great seeing you. We'll have you on again soon. PaulDoolin.com. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks Guru. Uh, I want to leave. Uh, I don't want to leave just yet. I wanted a couple minutes with you. Oh, um, okay. Just you, because I because I really did. I was really impressed. Uh, honestly, that story about you know. That story about shanking that shot in front of those people in the club championship, it's all you ever need to know about Tim O'Connor. I got to tell you. No, but I'm telling you, like, like there's a lot of great stuff there and a lot of great learning. And, 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 and I want people to take that away that, you know, it doesn't matter that Tim and I and Paul and the people that we associate with, this is what we talk about. It doesn't mean that we're immune to the things that happen to golfers. And that, to me, was such a great example of it. When I read it, and then we talked about it, I said, you know, you know, Connor, you're a pretty special guy, because that's not, what, that's not for everybody. Yeah, and, and I really appreciate you saying that. Um, what was really struck me about that was, is that, so I came away from that round going, gosh, I still need to work on this inside move that's in, unconscious that happens to be under pressure. Because I hit, I was in playing in a freaking church golf tournament on the weekend, and I became conscious of these guys who are talking to really nice young guys. I get up on the hole and I hit a shank into the into the trees. And I go, oh my gosh! But what was interesting is that I didn't go there, and this is why. Everybody, the coach needs coaching. It's like, uh, you know, the book editor needs an editor. Of course. Is that when I came away from hitting the shank and the, you know, flying around on my club seat, oh, man, I still got to work on this move. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm unconscious out there and got to work on that. And you surprised me when you went, you know, well, you know, I love the fact that you hit that wedge onto the green. I hadn't even gone there because I was stuck in my own head and... I didn't even see that. I'm going to tell you, the most impressive shot, and I've seen you play some good shots. The last time I played with Tim, we talked about it last week when uh, we were talking with uh, Ken Tarling. Now, the last time I played with Tim, you made four birdies in nine holes, and you shot one under par. So I've seen you play at a scratch level. But to me, hitting that gap wedge in front of those people on the last round of a... Because, you know, listen, I still get nervous. You know, I... 
you know, I'm going to tell you a story in a second, but I still get nervous when there's people around, you know, because, you know, we all have egos and self-image and you want to be, you know, I think I'm a pretty decent player. I want other people to think that too. But in that moment, I put myself in your situation. I thought, my gosh, you know, that guy hit it. The fact that you even got it on the green might be the most impressive shot you hit all year. (laughs) I don't tell you because anyone that's listening that doesn't agree with me, tell me because, you know. The reason the hardest shot in golf is to hit the one after you shank it, because you're, there's an electricity. It's an overload of chaos, and it's physical, and it's mental, and, and then you got to take a breath and go, okay, well, now what am I going to do? Like, I would have just picked up and driven into the parking lot. I said, <laughs> peace, peace, people. Um, so I think that's you why. Me, you get me six beers. That's why I thought it was so impressive, because you hit a shot, 110 yards, gap wedge to the middle of the green, and two-putted. Um, I think that's pretty cool. Well, you know, also, I think there's a... So thanks again. But I think as well, we were talking with Paul about when things happen on the golf course, it's how do you respond? Right. And sometimes the energy, the anger, the disappointment is a reminder. It's a wake-up call. And what it was for me was it was the wake-up that, oh, Tim, don't need to put a freaking death grip on it. And my what's been getting me through my golf in the last month is just being present to yes. the club. And you struck. Listen, last time we played, you hit almost every fairway and almost every green in nine holes. You're hitting it pretty good. You know, like ridiculous. So thanks, but I was a little bit like, "What's going on here? Why is he? Why is he hitting it by me?" Well, M one, CSI irons, this yes, is, all this good this stuff. Is bullshit. Um, but it, it, I was. I, I think what ha- I just was really right now when I kind of revisit. Standing over that shot, I just felt very relaxed. It it just, but it was a reminder of that's the feeling I want to have when I'm standing over a shot. I want to feel athletic, but relaxed and and focused on my target. Okay, we're almost done the show, and when it's over, I'm going to show you why I think you shank. But I don't want to give away the secret to everybody because you are you you're not a golf instructor, but you play one on the radio. It's funny because I got I got Doolin tuned up. Um, Like it was it was chaotic it was you know what you're doing it was nine holes of watching him hit it and by the way the place we were playing was really it's spectacular but what he said about it's not the kind of place you don't i mean he had no control he he was hitting it left and right and you know you know some of those greens are very severe and and i just noticed you know like with a lot of people especially a guy like him who's a former six or seven five handicap you know you can see he knows what he's sort of doing and a lot of it it's always something simple with him his proximity to the golf ball was way out of whack. He was so far from it. And when you're, when you're away from it, what it does is your first move basically takes you in and around behind you. And then you have to do something. And yep, absolutely. For, for better players, you pull it. For newer players, you block or cut it. But I, once I sort of gave him a couple small things, I got him a little closer to the ball. He just started hitting it great. I'd say the last three or four holes, he hit some beautiful shots. Um well, that's it. what's interesting there is that there's there's some people who think that if you you know free yourself with the mind of a of a monk to the game that you're going to play golf really well. No, you still have to have fundamental sure. awareness and the ability to line up, be in good posture, hit the ball, understand what's how a good. So you need to be a student of the game, but it's that balance of being able to understand when it's time to just 
you've invested in the in the process of learning your technique, but also now I'm being invested in performance and just allowing myself to For be sure. and allow it to happen. And you know what it's like, and, and sort of the higher handicap guys listening will maybe relate to this. When it's not going well, then you start to run through your Rolodex. <laughs> exactly, the of, list. Of swing thoughts. Yeah. The list of things that have helped you, the list of things you've heard. You do all these, yeah, it's like a, it's like a quarterback going <laughs> into the huddle with all the plays on his wrist. Yeah. And Paul was I could see Paul doing that, and, and once I got him a little bit better, sort of standing, and a little bit better, a little bit better aiming, I said, "Now, really, all you need to decide is, do you trust this enough to just hit it towards somewhere? Because what happens to people, and you can see it when you're not playing well, they're so focused down and at the ball. You've heard the phrase ball bound. Yeah. Well, that's what that means. It's like you watch a player playing well. We'll take Tim O'Connor. The day you shot one under, all your posture was, and I'll do this. If you can imagine somebody in their golf posture and their head's tilted toward the field of play. Now, con- contrast that with somebody who's not feeling well about their swing and they're, always, they're just looking down. And it's funny. I saw a guy the other day. I was just watching him from the other fairway. I just wanted to see. I could sort of wonder. So could I tell if he was having a good day or not? I watched him go his routine and he got over the ball and never once looked at the target. So you know what's going on in his head. What he's doing is what, what a lot of guys do, trying to remember how to hit it. And it's also, but it's also survival. Yeah. They're just trying to hit this dang ball. And that's what is hitting the ball. Survival. Is survival. And so where do you go with that? Tension, anxiety, because who knows? Trying to do it right. What is right? Where do I put more? If I tell my taking it back too far inside and outside and all that other stuff. Um, And you can, you can really tell the day that we played that quick nine in the morning that you had the whatever it is, temerity, audacity to walk away. <laughs> Who walks away after four birdies and nine holes and is under par? Oh, I got to go to a thing. You What? Where's he going? Even the guys were playing. Where's he going? He's under par, isn't he? I don't know. He's crazy. So I got two quick stories for you. Because um, I've told you that I have freaked out this summer. I've had a, I had a bad stretch there in June, and I've had some good play as a boy. Golf hell. Immersed. Fully. Uh, you engaged. know, basically, since I took a 10-day break, I had a, I, I've shot over 80 one time in a month and a half, basically. Nice. Um, and the last couple of rounds I've had under pressure have both been even par. And uh, I'll just tell you very quickly. There was sort of a contrast. Under one, pressure meaning in a tournament playing where, for money? Playing for, no, playing. So any, here's what I call, call a tournament. Anytime your score is recorded and people will see it and you have to putt out everything, like men's night or your Saturday morning money game. So I have two, two, games, two games a week, every week, that are under pressure. One is men's night because your name goes up on the thing. Everyone sees what you shot. Plus, the email goes out and everyone can tell if you had a bad round. And then the Saturday morning game. There's 40 of us. We put in money. We play for it. And the, and the, the email goes out. Here's what scores. So on Wednesday night, I bogeyed the first three holes and played the next 15, three under par. And the reason I did Sweet. is because in the middle of making three bogeys in a row, I had the feeling that I could continue to bogey every hole and it would be fine. Nice. I, I'm not. I'm not lying. I'm not shining you. I felt such calmness because I'm hinted good. You know, missed a couple greens the wrong side, lipped out a couple putts for par, and found myself three over par. Contrast that with on Saturday, I was just. I, I'm going to tell you, and this isn't a lie. I hit 17 greens in Ooh. regulation. <laughs> I had 17 putts for birdie on the 13th. I hit the first 12 in a row. In a row. I putted for birdie. So it's a pretty cute little round I got going, and I'm two under par. Everything from like five feet to four well, feet? Well, here's the thing. I only had about three or four realistic chances at birdies. I had five or six that were 
10 to 20 feet. I kind of, I hit a couple good putts, lipped them out, and I had a few of the 20 to 34. You're just trying not to three putt. Right. So it wasn't like I was striping it. I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't a dart show, as my buddy Gortner would say, but yeah. it was a pretty impressive, you know, I, was, I had a lot of soft pars. But I'm going to tell you, from the 12th tee to the 13th, 12th green, 13th tee, I, I, I couldn't stop breathing. I was breathing because it all of a sudden struck me that I was having a pretty special day and, and that I only had six holes to go. Now, I've been in this position a lot recently. I've been three under with six to go. I've been one under. But this day, I was just hitting it in the right spots, and I felt pretty good. And I got to tell you, I, I was having not a panic attack, but I couldn't. I was sucking air. I couldn't. I was doing everything I could do to keep in the moment, but it was, it was weird. And the other guy said, you're up. I go, no, no, just go ahead. I, I took extra time. And I don't think I self-sabotaged, but I bogeyed the next couple holes. Mm-hmm. For not, you know, they, one was a three putt that I just ran by. I went to tap my four footer in and I did a hard lip out. So it wasn't like I made that, played the hole nicely. I just lipped out. And then I played the next few holes and shot even par again. So my point is, as steeped as I am in this, it still was, you know, my, I, you could tell my cheeks were flushed. My pulse was gone up a little bit. And I was doing everything I could to calm myself down. And for what? Because I knew I was playing well. Yeah. Absolutely. Had you recently been in that type of position where you were like hitting it that good and Yeah, pretty recently. Yeah. I've had I've been under par on nine holes probably four or five times in the last ten rounds of golf. So you're somewhat um perplexed, fascinated why you went to that place? Possibly all those things, but also admitting that, you know, I'm a pretty good golfer and it still was, you know, there I was thinking, you know, not only am I going to win this thing, because I, I started thinking that, oh, I'm going to totally win today, mm-hmm. which I did. But I was also thinking, you know, I am I can be in the 60s today easily. Right. Got a downwind par five coming and I, you know, and I just, I'm, I'm sure if I, I'm not sure, I, I don't think I choked so much as I was definitely choking on air. Sure. And it took me a couple holes to kind of get rid of it. Right. I'm, you know what? I'm going to. Here's where I'm going to go. It, my um, Mo Norman. And Mo would say that you were out of your comfort zone there. And that largely, in terms of like your body was reacting in a way to really. Your body always shows your emotions. And who knows what was really going on there, but your body didn't like what was going on. And so mm-hmm. it was showing showing you through flushed cheeks, inability to breathe well. Yeah. And that's just what happens. And where the skill comes, and Paul was mentioned it earlier, it's like, what do we learn from our games? And that does come off as a platitude sometimes, but that's what the best players in the world do, is that they learn from these experiences. So the next time they're there, they go... Oh, I've been through this. This is what goes on with my body. And that's what happens in, you know, for someone like myself in a club C, someone who's never played, a player's never played in the Ryder Cup, their body acts in ways that they've not experienced before. But once they've been through it a few times, they go, oh, okay, this is what's going on. I'm aware of it. And awareness, the link back to our Fred uh, Shoemaker podcast, awareness is curative. And what it means by that is just being aware of what's going on is enough. It doesn't mean I have to start employing all these tools, breathing, walking, all that can help. But just being aware of what's going on is like, all right, this is what's happening for me. And your awareness, I will suggest in future times, will help you in Absolutely. dealing with this. And, 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 and to be fair to Howard Glassman, who went through that, 
You know, I, I would say that the third thir- person. Yeah. The 13th hole that I played, I, I hit a kind of a shaky drive and I tugged, slightly tugged an iron into an uphill green and made a beautiful bunker shot and lipped out the par. So I still had access to my skills. Mm-hmm. The next hole on into 20 feet. Ball just, I almost made the putt and went to, I, I just had, I felt no fear over the three and a half footer and I did the hard lip out. So, you know, poor luck or I'd have been still two under par. But on the hole that followed my two bogey little chaotic run was the best drive I hit all day. Nice. By a, by a, and it wasn't anger. It was just, okay, well that's happened. Well, how well can, let, let's get, let's get back to work. Cause I felt I didn't hit a bad shot and made a bogey. So I have learned. I mean, it was, I was disappointed at the end of the day only in that. Again, I know I'm, I'm being lots of people would like to shoot even par and be disappointed. But I'm just talking about where I'm at in my game. I was disappointed that I couldn't have closed the deal. Not from a weakness, but like, hey, I'm about to break through here. Any day now would be cool if that was the day. It wasn't, but I learned that. I learned that I'm going to still get nervous and that I can keep it under par later and later in the round. And that at some point, it'll just become, I'll be, here's a great analogy. I'll leave you with this. If you've never swum too far from shore, at first, when you look back, you go, gosh, I am a long way away from safety. Yeah. But if you do it enough times, you get used to the way it looks. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. kind of where I'm at. Yeah. I, I love where you're, where you've gone with that. That's perfect. And, um, you know, so again, if we come down to, some of the things that we've learned from some people we've had on recently, Fred Shoemaker, uh, Ken Tarling, um, Paul today, is that what's the learning we take from everything? Because if, if everything's around, this is the day I'm going to break through, uh, you know, I did, I'm great, I didn't, I suck. If we go there, there's no learning. Sure. Because, but because your performance tomorrow is not based on your performance today your performance tomorrow is based on your learning today you know that's a beautiful thought i mean one of my little you know golf comedy bits is i say you know at the first tee they should have the rules of the course and cart path only or not and then it should say and don't forget past performance is no guarantee of future results well said because that's exactly what we face each and every day listen everybody hope you've enjoyed today tim o'connor is available to you. Maybe not at the level that I get him, but uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Don't call him at home during the dinner hour. He doesn't like that. Um, and <laughs> boundaries. boundaries. <laughs> Paul Doolin. Although Tim and I talk so much to each other that we have, I think we've adopted this unconsciously. Whenever I call or you call me, you go, is this a good time to talk? Because you know it's going to be 20 minutes just to say hello. Absolutely. Uh, PaulDoolin.com and uh, TheHumbleAndFredShow.com or you can check us out on SiriusXM. Brought to you by TaylorMade Adidas. Listen to it with your children. Taylor, well, except for the S words. Uh, Taylor made Adidas. Taylor made number one uh, driver in golf by a, a ton. Dude, I played with our friend uh, Stu Bannantine yesterday from TaylorMade. Oh, yeah? Yee. That kid can hit it. Good Lord. I'm telling you, it's ridiculous. Young people, good equipment. It goes a long yeah, way. Yeah, no kidding. And Glenn Karen, of course, part of the Club Link family of golf and uh, golf courses. You can. Uh, there's some great deals on right now for Club Link uh, to introduce uh, you to their system. And go check it out. We'll see you next week.